resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. Communication is down all over the country. Everybody was just rushing up to the closest high point. I'm just holding on for dear life here. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. The warnings were going up. The extent to which people took heed of the warnings is another question. Very much a wake-up call. People were prepared and that's why we've got less lives lost than we could have had. People need to know what to do and it's not difficult. We provide the right information to people and they can act accordingly. Pacific Kisimwas. The Pacific Pacific, you feel I must prepare. Pacific prepared. Pacific prepared. Hello and welcome to Pacific Prepared. I'm Fred Hooper. I'll be hosting the program for 2022 and I'm really excited to be working with such a talented group of Pacific reporters. For the next few weeks, you'll be hearing from me, Aaron Carney and the team as we keep across what's happening in our area and revisit some stories about how people are preparing for natural disasters in the Pacific. We're also working behind the scenes on the best way to bring you the information that you might need this year. And we're going to be bringing you all new episodes soon to help keep you and your community safe. And of course, prepared. Coming up in this episode, we'll take you back to a story looking at the plan to save Solomon Islands from the worst natural disasters. After being forced to leave the island of Ombay due to volcanic eruptions, farmers returned last year, but this time they're more prepared. And who makes the disaster decisions in your life? And what are they basing them on? This is Pacific Prepared. It was a terrifying night. It was shaking and getting pounded by debris. We had to make sure that they have a safe shelter and drinking water. Helping you stay safe, Pacific Prepared. When disaster strikes, the personal, community and village response can be the difference between living and dying. Having a clean-up or having to start all over again. And the best responses are planned responses. Most Pacific countries have a National Disaster Management Office, or NDMO, although sometimes they're called an Emergency Management Office, or they're delivered from within another ministry. In the Solomon Islands, the NDMO leads the humanitarian response during disasters, coordinating, developing, and implementing disaster management across provinces. In 2018, the Solomons NDMO introduced the National Disaster Management Plan, the product of extensive review and disaster experience. As Pacific Prepared correspondent Georgina Kakia reports, that plan is now being put into action. Tropical cyclones, windstorms, landslides, Earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, storm surges, tsunami are just but a few hazards posing a threat to the lives of Solomon Islanders. Solomon Islands is an archipelagic country with many islands scattered across the vast ocean. Its geographical setting is often a challenge for the National Disaster Management Office, NDMO, especially when responding to emergencies. Now with the current situation, The challenge is more for NDMO as the focus now is primarily on COVID-19. But with a comprehensive document such as the National Disaster Management Plan 2018, NDMO was able to better coordinate, support and implement its work to ensure communities are well prepared and coordinated to respond to emergencies. Working with partners such as World Vision, Oxfam, and our other NGOs, uh, local NGOs and church groups, to make uh, communities 
a little bit more aware of the risks that they face or possibly will face due to you know the more frequent events now happening with the impacts a little bit more bad for the communities if they do happen. With that understanding, disaster preparedness and awareness, uh, working with communities, establishing emergency response plans, um, those are in the forefront of the work that we are doing, understanding the fact that uh, our early warning systems can go only go so far. NDMO Director Lottie Yates. With the support from NGOs, community groups, donors, partners and the private sector, there is renewed confidence that the National Disaster Management Plan will be able to achieve its aims and objectives. Mr Yates says a test for NDMO in the effectiveness of the Disaster Management Plan was when Tropical Cyclone Harold struck Solomon Islands in April 2020. Uh, we, we found ourselves in a situation where much of... Um, the resources we had were diverted to supporting the COVID response. However, the National Disaster Operations Committee for Sector Response was activated. Uh, we had a meeting with all our sector leads. Um, and if, if, you, if you understand the Solomon Island disaster management arrangements, the membership of the committees involves um, not only government agencies but donors and uh, our NGOs as well. So at that time when Tropical Cyclone Harold uh, hit us and affected our communities, the NDOC for sector response coordinated with the Provincial Disaster Operations Committees and uh, what we did was uh, with the support of donors activated the Provincial Disaster Operations Committees supported by our NGOs, World Vision, Oxfam, SAVE and others were able to deal with the humanitarian imperatives uh, that um, came out as a result of uh, the, the event. And so we were able to deal with uh, that by activating existing arrangements without, um, I think it, it did work for us. And uh, yeah, the, the NGOs actually took uh, lead in uh, the response uh, directly with the communities affected. The National Disaster Management Plan 2018 is said to be a new start and a fundamental change in focus to deliver response to disaster events through the provinces and the sector. The NDMO director says the provincial disaster officers are well placed to respond to disasters, same as the National Disaster Management Office. Yates says there is now a more detailed structure and outline on what the different sectors are expected and can do in the different stages when preparing or responding to a disaster. Uh, it clearly shows that uh, with good arrangements in place, uh, active uh, participation by members, challenges are there, but they can be dealt with if we have a good coordination arrangement in place. Pacific Prepared Solomon Islands correspondent Georgina Kakia taking a look at how that country's National Disaster Management Plan is informing disaster planning and response. Ten minutes after the earthquake, we had a loud bang and then just saw the sea rising up. Know what to do. Know what to do. Know what to do. Pacific Prepared. In one of the most famous volcanic events of modern times, 10,000 people on the Vanuatu island of Ombay 
were evacuated as ash from an eruption of the island's volcano covered the island, killing crops and polluting the air and water. The decision to evacuate was a heartbreaking one, separating people from their land, splintering cultural ties, and displacing communities established over many generations. The evacuation attracted worldwide attention. In the three years since, and with much less fuss and focus, 80% of those evacuees have returned home. Farms and communities are being re-established and the old Umbai is returning. But the possibility of another eruption remains real, and many hard lessons have been learned. Disaster preparedness is now at the heart of all planning in Umbai. In part two of her series focusing on the volcanoes of Vanuatu, Pacific Prepared Vanuatu correspondent and head of news at Capital FM 107, Heather Meraki, has been looking at efforts to ensure there will be food to eat, even if there's another eruption. I had the opportunity to speak with the Provincial Agriculture Officer for Panama Province, Andrew Butu, who talks about the activities carried out by the Department of Agriculture and Rural Development in the island of Ambai to help farmers who have now returned and are now starting to make new gardens for their survival. What are some of the main issues faced by farmers, subsistent farmers in the island of Ambai after being evacuated due to eruptions from the Ambai volcano? Uh, thank you for this opportunity. After the evacuation in 2018, the main issue uh, where farmers facing uh, throughout Ambai is the uh, shortage of uh, planting materials where they can use to start again planting their gardens and subsistence farming. Also, it leads to water, some of the challenges with water. Water for farming, farming water, and drinking water is also a challenge for families and households where most water catchment, especially roofing, iron roofing, all damaged and uh, uh, not healthy for people to drink. Then it causes them to lose their focus on, uh, especially to do in farming due to uh, unhealthy situations in home. Most of the families migrate out from uh, Ambai to do farming while rebuild their homes. How is the Department of Agriculture tackling or solving the issues being faced by farmers after they returned? In, in 2019, January to March, Panama, we work in partnership with Save the Children, one of the Save the Children. Then we start establishing four multiplication plots in four different area councils. West Tambay Area Council, North Tambay Area Council, South Tambay Area Council, and West Tambay Area Council. And uh, we organize uh, some field days to support them with planting materials. So on July, we organize mostly uh, the field days for sweet potato. Most farmers attended it, and that time we, they tested sweet potato tubers and collect uh, planting materials, sweet potato fine cuttings and start off to plant, start and start planting their home gardens and start thinking and making farming again. Then on, uh, on November 2019 to March 2020, we work agriculture department in Panama, so work partnership with the Vanuatu Skills Partnership and we establish uh, food banks. We established food banks. The first food bank we established, Saratamata. It consists of root crops, uh, nursery, vegetable nursery, 
including cava, uh, pepper, vanilla, chicken, chicken house, chicken fence, incubators to hatch um, uh, eggs. Yeah, then we, we start off with uh, this initiative as food bank, and after that we, we supply uh, planting materials to existing schools, uh, retaining schools. We establish small fish bones to support them with protein source in schools, especially the students, and we provide practicals to students, and we organize mostly backyard training to different homes, in different ward councils, we target uh, we targeted all all the ward councils in Mumbai in four different uh, area councils. We provide trainings in uh, backyard and we provide uh, seeds, vegetable seeds, to different farmers, different households, and we work closely with all interested farmers to to address the food security in Mumbai. The impact of uh, yeah all the activities we are doing. We're doing in the past uh, two years. There's a big impact in uh, those activities. We measure those impacts through the sales in uh, our main market, especially in Saratamata. In 2019, only farmers uh, sell their produce in the market on uh, only on Fridays, especially on the government government paydays. But this year, farmers sell their produce throughout the week. So there's big impact in what we are. During the last two years, there's lots of varieties as well in the market, especially vegetables and uh, island taro, Fiji taro in market in much bigger quantity than the past years. Big impact in what we are doing so far. In terms of preparation before there's another eruption in the future, is there anything that the Department of Agriculture and Rural Development in Panama province is doing to make sure there is stock of some planting materials in other parts of Panama province in case there is need for a supply of planting materials in the future if there's another eruption. We also establish a, a multiplication plots in Pentecost and Maiwo. We have some programs there where offices are distributing planting materials and most of the assistance from Maiwo and Pentecost on planting materials where they support uh, farmers from my own Pentecost, uh, supporting the recovery program through planting materials, provide uh, free planting materials to farmers from uh, Ambai. Now we have established uh, one one plot in my own, three in Pentecost. There's one at uh, Namaram, one in North Pentecost, and one far south at Panas. Just as a standby plots to, to support us in in any future disaster or hazards, especially volcanoes, uh, volcano cyclones, and also the plots that yeah set up in uh, Ambai, all the plots are, are located in uh, safe zones. The the activity is getting serious. Then uh, those plots are safe. Uh, they are located in safe zones where people can still access uh, food from those existing plots. Pacific Prepared Vanuatu correspondent and head of news at Capital FM 107, Heather Maraki, speaking with Provincial Agriculture Officer Andrew Butu about the food banking that is ensuring Umbai and surrounding islands are ready if another volcanic eruption occurs. You can hear Heather's report on the current volcano danger levels in Vanuatu in a previous episode of Pacific Prepared.
Just head to the Radio Australia website. Helping you stay safe. Pacific Prepared. When disaster strikes, you may have to evacuate quickly and be away from your home for some time. So, disaster authorities recommend making a kit with some essential items you will need if you have to flee your home. These are commonly known as go bags. Your go bag should be brightly colored and easy to carry, something like a large sports bag or backpack. Some go bags have a lot of items and can be quite expensive. Some cost almost nothing. Each episode, we will bring another item for your go bag and you can decide if it is right for you and how you can make it work. Pack some clothing and blankets in your go bag. If someone falls sick or is injured, can you keep them warm? You may not have shelter during some disasters. Children are more vulnerable to heat and cold and should have clothes for all conditions. You may also want to pack something small to make your children feel safe. They may be far from home and a disaster can be scary. So a favorite small toy or pillow can provide great comfort. Moving around can be dangerous during and after a disaster and gloves and boots can help protect you. Clothing and blankets should be in your go bag. Listen in next time for another item that will help make you ready to go. This information has been drawn from various sources including the Red Cross, the United Nations and government agencies. Be informed, be prepared, Pacific Prepared. Kevin Marai from NBC Papua New Guinea helping you create your go bag. Do you have protective clothing, solid shoes, warm, waterproof clothes? Everyone's go bag will look different, but think about what you can put in yours and start your go bag now. Be informed. Be ready. Pacific prepared. When a disaster is on the way, there are always plenty of bush experts, a boss who takes control. This can be a good thing. We need leaders in times of crisis. But where is your leader getting his information from? And does he have a proper plan? The National Emergency Office and the local village chief have different knowledge and resources, but both should be making their decisions based on evidence. In recent episodes of Pacific Prepared, you've heard FBC Fiji reporter Josiah Nanuka and I speaking with Practical Actions Senior Disaster Risk Reduction Advisor Dr. Mariana Budimir. 
The International Development Organization has looked at research from around the world and come up with a checklist for the ideal flood early warning system. And it might just help you make a better decision the next time danger threatens. As we continue that conversation, we ask what it means to make evidence-based decisions. You can use different methods for monitoring um, the environment to be able to predict uh, the likelihood of a hazard occurring in the future. Monitoring rainfall or the river level, if you gather enough evidence on that, enough observations, you can then look in the past and say, uh, what are the previous patterns where those observations have been linked to a hazard occurring? Um, And then by analysing those relationships, you can develop useful warning information, um, develop scientific thresholds or models where you can issue a warning when a particular threshold is passed and make sure those are timely and accurate. The monitoring methods really vary in terms of what hazard you're looking at, scale you're looking at, whether you're looking at a national system or again down to the local community to a village level, the amount of time between the warning and the hazard actually hitting you. They can be low tech, as, as slow tech as having you know a pole in, in a river with measurements on the side and it color coded in green, yellow, orange, red to indicate where the, the level of warning, uh, the river level is at. It can go really, really high tech. We can use satellite data. We can use advanced LIDAR sensor technology to, to monitor river level. The basic principle really here is making sure that what you're monitoring and how you're developing when you should be issuing different levels of warning that's based on evidence that has been gathered from the past and that can be looked at and uh, we can say how certain we are about that information, about those warnings that we're giving and making sure that we're checking back and constantly evaluating and improving the monitoring technology, the the evidence that we're using to, to issue those warnings. Doctor, we've heard from you many of the cornerstones of an effective early warning system. The fourth is to communicate and to communicate effectively. Nothing else matters if you don't get that right. It's easy to say, but hard to do. Communicate effectively. Yes, definitely. I agree. This is um, one of the, the, the areas that around the world, no matter where you go, this is the, one of the most difficult things um, to, to do effectively because it, it's, you're communicating to a wide range of people usually. But it's, it's really about thinking, about, do they get it? Do they understand it? And can they take action? So it's, it's going back to, is that warning information accessible? Are you using a different um, a range of ways of sending out the warning information. Um, does everyone receive it directly? So um, is this sent out via SMS or an, an application or is it via um, a siren making a noise in a local local village? Um, thinking about who might have barriers to accessing that. Um, there is a divide in people's ability to access this information, the technological divide, and often those who are most vulnerable or the poorer communities might have barriers to accessing. So they may not have a mobile phone. If you're sending it out via SMS, they may not have a mobile phone or they may not be the person in their family who has a mobile phone. 
So they might be receiving that information indirectly. Um, so it's thinking about that. Is, is it accessible? Have you changed the information type to make sure that people are receiving it in an appropriate way for themselves? So the way you send it out, for example, to a disaster risk manager will be a very different method to what you send out to the public. Making sure that the messages you send out are are clear. Are they in the local language? Do they have technical jargon in it? Let's not do that. And then are they understanding that information? Is it useful? And then can they take action? And it's really about, again, we've talked that it's people-centered, is whatever you do with the communication, you need to be designing it with the people who are receiving it in mind and working with them into designing what that looks like and checking that they are receiving it and able to do something with that information. Doctor, from your experience, develop response capacities. What does this mean? In advance and not in the moment is making time to prepare practice and and get those resources in place so that you can respond to the warning information before the hazard gets to you. So this is not about after the hazard happening, responding. It is about responding to the warning message. And a lot of these activities have to be done well in advance and regularly, not in that kind of that window between receiving the warning and and taking action. So it's about having this preparedness plan, knowing what to do when you receive a warning, making sure you've planned that in advance. And these can be, you know, national plans, local governmental plans, but also personal plans, family plans, and then making sure that you've practiced it. So you might be aware of the plans, but you really need to get familiar with it. So try it out, see if there are any gaps. And again, it's better to practice this rather than try it out during a crisis. And then making sure you've got the resources. So have you got a safe location to go? Have you got a safe route to get there? Do you you have a go bag? Um, Do you have uh, support for specific needs within your family or community? And then knowing that people have their own roles and responsibility within a community or within the responding uh, unit or but also within a family you know who's responsible for picking up the go bag who's responsible for making sure grandma gets to the the safe shelter and this really needs to be you know discuss it with your family your friends your colleagues do you know what to do do you know where to go do you have everything prepped in advance are there any barriers have you kind of try to tackle those think about different times of day in different locations and then once you've done all of this preparation you can really take comfort in knowing that your family and your friends and your colleagues and your community know what to do and can take those actions and you're not responding and trying to think and make decisions in the middle of a crisis that you you've got a plan you just have to implement it do you have a plan Where is your safe place? How do you get there? How do the children and the elderly get there? Does everyone know the plan? This is your challenge. FBC Fiji reporter Josiah Nanuka, speaking with Senior Disaster Risk Reduction Advisor Dr. Miriana Budimir from Practical Action on how to make the perfect flood warning system. (laughs) 
Pacific Prepared is supported by the Pacific Media Assistance Scheme with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed here do not necessarily represent those of PACMAS or the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, NBC Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, PWFM, Wanomo Capital FM 107 Vanuatu, FBC Fiji, Samoa National Radio 2AP and TBC Tonga. Thank you to our guests, correspondents and contributors, government and non-government agencies who've provided emergency and disaster information and support. And thank you for listening. My name is Aaron Carney. We will be back soon with another episode. In the meantime, please stay safe, share what you have learned here, and together we will help get the Pacific prepared.